Um, we are going to start a new series today, and we're talking about life with Jesus. And life with Jesus is our way of talking about how do we share our faith, and what does it mean to share what we've experienced with God. When I think about um, people in my life, there's we were just remarking about this the other day. There's so many people who are so lonely right now. They don't have the friends that they want or need. There's people that are in our city that are living with mistakes that they've made and they don't know what to do with that feeling of guilt or shame. There's some people that struggle with the existential reality of like, how am I supposed to live this life? And what we as Christians believe, followers of Jesus, what we believe is that God made a way for us to answer those questions with Jesus. And anyone who turns to Jesus can experience life with him, here and for now. We believe that there in Jesus, there is a real answer. And so what this does for people who've encountered the living God, that have discovered life with Jesus, they feel this urge this sometimes a pressure uh, or this inclination to share their faith with other people. Are you familiar with this? You're like, maybe you're like, I, I love Jesus and I want the world to know what that's like. And you feel this thing inside of you and you're like, I should share this with other people. There's a word for that. Maybe you've heard the word well, I'm going to witness to them, which sounds like you're uh, going to bring them before a trial. Uh, <laughs> will the witness take the stand? I don't know what that means. Or you've maybe heard the word. It's an E word. Does everyone know the E word? What is it? What's the word I'm thinking of? Evangelize. Evangelize. Evangelization. Evangelize. Has anyone heard the word evangelize? I'm going to, and it turns into a verb, evangelize your friends. So let me ask you a question. What does it look like? You have this pure motive. You have encountered life with God. And you want to get that into the hearts and minds of someone to at least have an opportunity to experience the freedom you've experienced. How do you share your life with Jesus with others? Let me ask you a different question. What is evangelism? And what does it mean to evangelize? Now, in the modern era, many people have found interesting ways to express that good desire. For instance, we have a, there's these people. These are the sign people. I don't know how old that kid is in the upper left. Is, I don't know if it's a, a 43-year-old man or a 13-year-old boy. And then down the bottom, you have the trust Jesus people. And these, these are the, the lake of fire people. Like you, they hold up signs and they go, listen, if you don't turn, you will burn. Has anyone seen these people down at the promenade? Now, there's newer versions of this where you just basically put up, you attach God to some any kind of uh, political cause or belief that you have, and it doesn't even have to be like a conservative evangelical turn to burn. There's lots of different versions of these signs now in lots of different camps connected to lots of different political parties. So, but there's the like, if I hold up a sign and I press into your brain my point of view that somehow you'll go, oh my gosh, 
you know, I, I was going to live my life the way I wanted to, and I'm experiencing these pain and these emotions. But then I saw a sign that says, you'll be tormented in hell. Uh, good call. And you just, I just changed my life. Really, what is this? This is, this is, a, this is a form of evangelization, <laughs> okay? Let's show the next slide. This is people where you share the word. And you, what you do is you get a leather-bound book called the Bible, and you bring it places, and you open it up, and you go, check out what it says in Romans. If you don't, you know, and this is a little bit better than the Turner Burn people, but like you're holding the Bible out, and you're saying, look, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, and you're appealing to them as if they already believe that the scriptures are a thing that are true, that they're inspired by God. You are, in this moment, these people are appealing to a, uh, to a type of authority that the people that they may be reaching out to or connecting with may not hold as an authority. Uh, they may not believe. They might not even believe God exists. So if you're talking with someone and you're not sure if they believe God exists and you hand them a Bible and say, the Bible says this, it's very hard to build intelligibility and credibility with that person when you're sharing your faith. Why? Because they're not starting from the same point that you're starting. Does this make sense? Are you with me? How about this? Another way of sharing faith is the conference idea. Um, so you go and you um, build relationships with your friends, and then you go, hey, come to this thing at this big room, and they're like, what is it? And you're like, you'll see when you get there. And then you get there, and it's like you, they share a gospel message, and you kind of lead people to make a decision to accept Christ, and then they're in. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. These are different ways that people use to share their life with Jesus. Now, if you're familiar with Christianity, uh, what are some of the descriptions that people use to describe how Christians are supposed to share their life with Jesus? The first one, maybe you've heard this one, is the idea of warfare. Like, okay, there's a dude that's battling something. Warfare. We have a slide about warfare. Matt uh, Mikalatos uh, and Good News for Change writes, sometimes we think that we have to battle people with the gospel, that we have to confront them and beat them down. When we see evangelism as conflict, we immediately put our listeners on the defensive. How many of you have encountered the style or methodology of sharing your faith that sees it as a bit of a battle, a battle to be won? We are the good guys, they are the bad guys, and we must beat the good news into them. Battle motif. Another one, sales. Maybe like the idea of sales. Like what are we doing here? We're selling Jesus to people. Uh, Richard Peace said this, what had been once the glorious art of Christian conversation had been reduced down to the kind of telemarketing campaign for Jesus. Furthermore, our culture was no longer buying it. They were on to us. They smelled out our religious salesmanship and they were having none of it. Sales, this is the idea of it's a gimmicky kind of thing. And, you know, if you follow Jesus, everything is going to be good. Buy now, pay later, or never pay kind of thing where you're not being honest when Jesus says things like, take up your cross and follow me. And narrow is the road. There's this very, like, Jesus welcomes us into life with him, but there's also, he turns our life upside down. It's a completely different way of thinking about life. And salesmanship kind of sells you on the positives and kind of hides the negatives. Another way of thinking about sharing our faith, hunting. This person has, uh, you can't really see it well, 
this person has a cap and a, and a semi-automatic rifle. No, it's not semi-automatic. So hunting. There was a part of me, this is Rebecca P Pippert, she says, there was a part of me that secretly felt evangelism was something that you shouldn't do to a dog, let alone a friend. To evangelize, it seemed, required insensitivity and an inclination to blurt out a memorized gospel outline without inhaling to every stranger you met. You're hunting, you're hunting, you're going to get them, we're going to get another one for Jesus, we're going to going to put another notch in my belt. I'm going to save someone. You see where the emphasis is? It's on you and your ability to, like, get them, okay? Um, here's another quote I want to read. It's from Steve Shogren. Most of what we think of as personal evangelism falls under the shark approach. I spent the first several years of my Christian life seeking out to soul win everyone in sight. During this time, I lived with the view that the world was a very disorderly place. As I saw it, my assignment was to bring it to order by evangelizing. I cornered every relative and friend who would listen for a few minutes and let them have it with both barrels. It wasn't long before I had shell-shocked everyone I knew. And after a while, when people saw me coming, they would make up excuses like, I can't talk now, I've got to polish my dog, <laughs> which I like. This idea, this idea that we need to have both barrels blazing, we just need to kind of get in, you know, whatever. And I think this is what makes sharing our faith hard. We've seen examples like this, and we go, well, we don't want to do that, so we end up doing what? We end up doing nothing. We just go, well, if it happens, it happens, or whatever. But somewhere, somewhere in between, somewhere in that tension of good intentions, bad things, and somewhere in the tension of not doing anything, there has to be a better way where we can authentically live out our life with Jesus. What the supernatural God of the universe has done in your life is real, and it's worth other people hearing about. But how do we express that? There has to be a better way. And so we're starting this series, and we're going to talk about different ways for us to think about it that can empower you in your life. And today is just a very basic message, and I just want to talk to you about some of the ways we think about people, and we think about conversion, and we think about faith in general, which causes us to build a foundation which can lead us to some of the bad ways of thinking about it, and I want to move us towards some of the healthier ways of thinking about it. And I want to begin with this. Our understanding of sharing our faith is informed by our theology and our experience of conversion. The way you think about sharing your life with Jesus, it's connected to how you think about what the faith is and how it was expressed to you and how you think people are in it or not in it. Does this make sense? And that is the, that is the presupposition of our time. Now, there's many examples that we, i just shown you that show this, but I think the stem of the problem, kind of the source of the problem in many ways comes from how Jesus followers think about Christianity. How you think about Christianity informs how you end up sharing Christianity, if that makes sense. So let me give you an example. The bonded and the centered set. How many of you know what this is? 
by a show of hands. All, all the board members and longtime members, yes, the board members are in. The board members are in. Good job. Now, bonded set is a way of thinking about Christianity that would inform how you end up sharing your faith. Let me show you what this means. Well, you have a bonded set graphic. Now, in a bonded set, it means there's people who are in and there's people who are out. How many times have you heard or, or thought of or saw somebody express Christianity in terms of who was in and who was out? Some people are in, some people are in the circle. That would, those are people who are the Christians. And the people who are outside the circle are not Christians. So there's in and there's out. And generally what happens is when we use the bonded set, we use three criteria to determine, criteria, excuse me, we use three criteria to determine who's in and who's out. Generally, it's what we believe, how we behave, and how we serve, how we believe. Do we believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was, uh, came down, human form, rise from the dead, and, um, and if we trust part trust in him, then we can get to go heaven. We don't have to go to the other places like that. But we believe, how we behave. I don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. I live a clean life. I'm not going out. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not cheating on my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'm not cheating on my spouse. I am avoiding, uh, I don't blow through stop signs. I don't uh, illegally download movies. Uh, whatever you want to say, uh, I behave in all the right ways. And the third criteria, the piece of criteria that we use, is that we serve. Like, it's not that we're just avoiding all the bad things. We're also doing good things. We show up to church, and we help set up chairs, and we, every once in a while, we throw a few dollars in the plate. And um, sometimes we, like, we'll serve and go to a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving, and we'll plop the mashed potatoes down. And, and, you know, and I've already believed all the right things, and I behave in all the right ways, and I, every once in a while I serve, and so on. What's the problem with this, how we believe and how we behave and how we serve to determine who's in and who's out. What's wrong with this? Well, if you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, we see example after example of Jesus taking issue with people that define who's in and who's out based on how they believe, how they behave, and how they serve. In particular, and maybe you've read some of the scriptures, but in case you have no idea what, this, what, what it says about the scriptures, Jesus reserved his harshest criticism for what group of people? The Pharisees. Now, a Pharisee were the most respected religious people of the time. And they were the keepers who defined who was in and who was out. And guess what they defined it by? How people believe, how people behave, and how they served. They were the keepers of the law. And they helped people to think clearly. He used that criticism. He criticized them because they were saying who is in, who is out based on those three criteria. Well, what are the problem with that? The problem is, is that you can believe all the right things. You can behave in all the right ways. And you can serve your heart out. But your heart can still be far away from God. This is the issue with the religious people of Jesus' day. They did everything right, but you could tell it just didn't taste good. It didn't taste good because they didn't have a relationship with God. They didn't have a relationship that was real. It was broken. They were, they were empty shells, and Jesus called them on it, so they had him killed. 
there's a different way to think about this. I think, before for you, I think it's very important to believe true things. Because I believe in truth. I believe there is such a thing as truth. And I believe there's things known as non-truths. And I would encourage you to come to that conclusion too. Uh, and I believe we, it's good to believe the right things. I think it's good to have life with Jesus and have that life with Jesus change the way you behave. Like so that you become a better person and less of a jerk over time. That the spirit of God working through you would actually make you a better. So I have no problem with believe, behave, and serve. But if it's used to determine who's in and who's out, boy, that can lead us down a road that affects. Why? Because think about our examples. We're hunting. We're in warfare. We got to get the signs out. Why? Because we're trying to get people in. If you're not in, we got to get them in. And the people who are out, we need to make sure that they get in. And if you think about all those evangelistic tools that I just showed, a lot of that has to do with getting people in. You're trying to get them to pray the prayer. And then once you pray the prayer, you lock the key, and then they're, they're stuck. They're Christians forever, or whatever you want to believe. But there's a different way to think about it. And it's called the centered set. The centered set looks like this. Um, I put a lot of uh, arrows so, uh, and people. Um, I, I actually made this myself. You're welcome. Uh, and so what the cross in the middle represents is the person of Jesus. Now, Christians believe over the centuries that God is real, that he is alive, and that Jesus was a real human and is still a human and a, a lived an earthly life and is alive today, but not with us in physical form. And when we come into life with Jesus, Jesus turns the lights on in our hearts and our minds. And we believe that Jesus journeys with us in life and we have his Holy Spirit with us. And the way this, this, way this model uh, is, there, it, it, there's, there's direction. You're either moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus. Now, if we think about Jesus and our relationship to him in this way, this is a little bit more accurate to the way relationships in the human world actually work. You're either moving towards someone or you're moving or you're pulling away from someone. And we see this more in the scriptures, that in most of the examples of Jesus' life, Jesus was looking for people to move towards him. And this is, I want to give you a few examples of this, John 14, 6. Look at me at this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is removing. He wasn't saying, believe this, behave in this way, and serve. And then you're, he says, come to me. I am the way to God. I am the way to God. And anyone can come. And, and, he, and he democratized access to him. It wasn't just the Pharisees. It was everyone. I am the way. Come to me. Anyone. Come to me right now. Encounter me right now. Or Matthew 11. Come to my theological positions. No, come to me. All who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Do you see what he's doing here? He's calling people to him. He is the source. He is the, the life. He is the one that is wanting to have a relationship with you. Or even Revelation 3.20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person 
and they with me. When we read the stories of Jesus, when we look at the stories of the way Jesus talked to people and interacted with people, what do we see? Time and time again, he is not pulling them to an idea, he's not pulling them to a symbol, and he's not pulling them to a set of theological beliefs. As important as theological beliefs are, he's pulling them and inviting them to a personal relationship with himself. So where does this all start to add up? Well, let me give you an example. Has everyone heard of the Apostle Peter? He was one of the original 12. One of the original 12. And Peter was one of the original 12. So, like, if I was to ask you a question, if we were to use the bonded set, if I was to ask you the question, when did Peter become a Christian? When was he out? And then, like, when did he cross the line and become in? Possibly. I heard Acts 2. Some people might say he was in when he followed Jesus, when he dropped his nets and followed Jesus. But then a few chapters later, he says, uh, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah. And then a couple verses later, he makes Jesus so mad that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He calls him Satan. So is he in or out there? We don't know. Um, there's this moment where, Jesus, where Peter denies Jesus three times. Was he in or was he out there? He denies him. Uh, there's the moment where Jesus is at the beach with Peter, and he reinstates Peter, and he forgives him three times. Was that the moment? There's this moment where the Holy Spirit comes and falls on Peter and other people. Was that the moment? But then a few chapters later, we read that Peter is with the Gentiles, and he won't even eat with Gentiles, people that are non-Jewish. So is he actually really fully understanding the God? Is he in or out? Well, based on behavior or service or belief system, it's really hard to tell. And, but then eventually Peter gets crucified upside down. That's not even in the scriptures. That's just what we know from church history. When did Peter actually become a Christian? The point of Peter is this. If you use the bonded set measurement to determine when Peter was in or when Peter was out, it's hard to know when Peter was in or when he was, or when he was out. But yet we would never conclude, we would never deny that Peter is an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. What does this mean for you and me? In the modern era, many followers of Jesus have lost the nuance that when it comes to experiencing life with Jesus, or when someone comes into life with Jesus, sometimes it is a gradual process. It is a journey. You are moving towards Jesus, or you're moving away from Jesus. And it's not always sudden, and it's not always overnight. It doesn't happen that way all the time. And the results have been means and methods of sharing life with Jesus that lead someone to try to get in that wasn't in before based on how they believe and how they behave and how they serve. Do those things matter? As I said before, yes, they absolutely matter, but they aren't the only way to measure. And honestly, if we're just, if we, if, if we, we, we were to try on the centered set for a moment, it's actually just harder. It's actually harder because when you're in a relationship with someone, you can't fake based on beliefs, behavior, and service. There's something real about being in a relationship with someone. So what can we learn here? I just want to mention these, these two things, and this is important for us. Every person is on a spiritual journey, and we too are on a spiritual journey. Every person is on a spiritual journey. 
when we think about Jesus in the way of moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus, we see that nobody is the enemy. We're not battling everybody. Everyone is a real human person who needs to be called back to her home or his home in life with God. When we begin to view people as sojourners on a spiritual journey, it improves how we treat people who are on the spiritual journey. We can judge less and we can listen more and we don't need to feel the pressure to use sales tactics or fear to try to get somebody to pray a prayer. Now, I believe that we should invite Jesus into our lives, but we're not doing something magical here. We can, we can recognize that people are at different places on the journey. And also, this keeps into perspective that we too are on a spiritual journey. We're in a different place than some of the seekers that might be in your life, but each one of us is also called to move forward in our journey. And this gets rid of the us versus them mentality. The us versus them mentality that's been so, has so permeated the way we try to share our life with Jesus and has spoiled some of the evangelism of the past. Here's my point. If you're interested in sharing your faith and you're not sure where to start, if you're confused or you're embarrassed by some of the methodology that has been used or some of the tactics that have been used to share your faith, if you see a need in someone's life to encounter the living God, the place for you to begin is to start looking and viewing people as people who are on a journey. And you begin to look at them not as if they're in or they're out, but begin to look at them as people who you're trying to figure out in what ways are they moving towards Jesus and how do I become highly attuned to equip them to, make, to take the next step forward. Sometimes we feel pressure or people have felt, and especially in my line of work, to get people to cross the line. I have come to the conclusion that people must eventually make a, a lurch forward and encounter the living God by inviting him into their life. I deeply believe that. But I also recognize there are sometimes hundreds of other steps that precede that step that you and I can participate in just being there and just in introducing the next step or something that they need to encounter in their life with God. Um, it's not your job to save them. It's God's job. God's job is to save people. It's your job and my job to look at people as people, to pay attention to where they're at in the journey, find a way to listen to the Holy Spirit, and then just do the thing that's right in front of you. What does this look like? Sometimes it's big things, and sometimes it's little things. Um, just recently, um, I have to tell personal stories here, but I'm not trying to make myself the hero, although I will look pretty good over the next few minutes. <laughs> you know, I'm, have you become aware of like, I'm going to tell a story where I'm the hero. Um, I'm, not, I'm trying not to do that, but what can we do? What, we've been, you know. Uh, so my wife and I and our daughter are on vacation, and we're with this other family that's also on vacation. They, we all went together, and it was wonderful and lovely. Viewing people on the journey uh, and trying to figure out, are they moving towards Jesus or away from Jesus? And what are the steps? What are, if there's any hurdles, what can we do to remove those things? This is what it could look like. We're at this lunch, and we're eating lunch, and 
And our daughter brings up, she goes, Mom and Dad, do you believe that there's only one person for you? Do you believe in true love? And, and you know the things where, like, everything that uh, came out of a Disney movie. And uh, because that's what we do. Like, this, our family friends that have boys, they're, like, doing sword fights and gun fights in the woods. We're working on new TikTok dances at 10 o'clock at night. That's what it is to raise a girl in 2023. But she's like, what, do you believe there's one person for everybody? And we, we started to do this thing with Marin and this other family was there with their kids. We started to like undo like the weird parts about um, kind of that thinking. And we we're like, well, you know, we believe this and love is also a choice. It's not just falling in love. And if it's just the one person, what happens to the, we, you know, we do all the work around the weirdness of love and for a little girl. And to watch the other mother's face light up where she was like, this is really good stuff. Like, this is really helpful for, for me, to, first of all, for her to hear, but also for the, her children to hear. And she loved how we were interacting with her, but also being helpful. Now, was I able to describe Jesus' pain and suffering on the cross in that moment? Was Nicole able to share how there was over 400 eyewitnesses that uh, saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And for those who put their trust in Jesus, uh, they can experience eternal life now. Were we able to do that in the moment when we're explaining our views on love and how it connects to our understanding of covenant and choice when it comes to marriage? We didn't say the word covenant, but you understand. We're moving towards it. You know, I'm running out of time here. So how do, were we able to do all that in that moment? No. Does this woman and, and their family, are they aware of what I do for a living? Yes. Are they aware that we follow Jesus? Yes. Were they making connections with the good news we were bringing to our daughter and the good news they know we already trust in at the source of our faith? Yes, they were. And what we were doing was removing hurdles, removing barriers. We got back from that trip. They pulled us into another hangout. They said, how did you do that? How were you able to help that and the thing, and I would just respect, and they walked away with this newfound respect for us. Now, have they been able to connect that respect for us with the fact that we have been informed and shaped by the power of the living God? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they're starting to connect those dots. Now, that is one step in about 30 to 50 steps it may take for them to come into life with Jesus. When they cross that line and they say, I want to follow Jesus, that will be a great day. But I want to be excited and celebrate that we were able to participate in undoing and bringing God's kingdom into the world in this moment and perhaps save our daughter some heartache and save their children some heartache by explaining a healthier way to think about love. Is it everything? No. Did we get into uh, the authorship of some of the Pauline epistles? No, but did we play our part in declaring a little bit of good news and helping someone move towards Jesus? Absolutely. Um, that's what it looks like. Um, a few days ago, we had a hangout at our pool with some people from uh, Pack City. Um, it was just small. We were just like, you know, so, and, and, uh, and there's some neighbors that were, popping in, and they were connecting, it was the same thing, they're connecting the dots between relationship 
with us, how we treat people, how we think about the world, and like being in community with other people, they were connecting, uh, they were connecting that with the people we were with. Were people um, having rapturous encounters with the Holy Spirit and confessing all their sins and turning to Jesus as we listened to weird country music from the 90s at our pool? They were not. But we were positioning people to understand that this is, that this is what it looks like. We are just people on the journey too. This is my hope for you and for me. My hope is that Jesus will, you'd begin with Jesus. First and foremost, we begin with Jesus and that he would guide you into relationships and conversations that are helpful for the other person, not just you. And second, my challenge would be that you would begin to look at people through the lenses of being on diverse journeys. If I could encourage you in one way, it would be to stop looking at people as whether they're in or they're out, but say, start to look at people and say, where are they at on this journey? Are they moving towards Jesus? And if so, what is the next step? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to play a part? And when we do this, when we do this, we're choosing not to look, as, look at people as projects that need to be saved. We're looking at people as people. And we're treating people with human dignity, which is what they deserve. And we claim as Jesus' followers, to love and serve a God uh, that, that has loved us and, and, and desires people to choose him. And Jesus calls us to help people encounter him and to invite people back into life with God. And I believe that. But as you go from here, I, um, I just want to empower you to, to consider looking at people as uh, people who are in diverse journeys. Okay, so over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into some more details about how this is done. Next week, we're going to talk about what does it look like to share your story. It's not just, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a MLM uh, pyramid scheme. There's more to it than that. And so I want to encourage you to come back, and we're going to talk more about that. And then we're also going to talk about uh, a few other things that we that um, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't, but it's going to be exciting. But um, overall, as you go from here, I ask that God would give you eyes to see people as people and that you might be able to um, help them move forward with Jesus wherever they're at in the journey. Why don't we all stand? Uh, I'm going to ask the... For, for, I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask God to speak to us right now. I think he has been, but like, let's just, you know, ask some more. So, Holy Spirit, um, we ask that you would come and that you would speak to us. felt like we should pray for two groups. 
of two groups. One is for you and one is for the people in your life. Um, for you, uh, I want to pray in just a moment that God would empower you to have a, a Christ-like view of other people in your life. You would look at people through the lenses of being on very different and diverse journeys. And uh, the second group I want to pray for is we want to pray for people in your life that God would give you uh, the ability to serve them and love them wherever they're at in their diverse journey and we pray for the people in your life that you know that need, need a touch or an encounter from you from God that God would touch them that God would begin to speak to them and lead them to himself so if you feel comfortable, you can open your hands. I want to pray. If you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. There's nothing magical. But God, I ask, I pray for empowerment right now. That you would give us eyes to see people as you see people. That you would give us the strength and the desire to share our life with Jesus with people. And God, I ask that you would free us from any of the uh, tactics or methodologies that... Um, just seems so foreign from what you call us to do in the scriptures. And God, I also pray for the people in each person's here's life that um, you would draw them to yourself, God, and you would give them, uh, you, would, you would cause them to feel a need for you, that you would uh, do miraculous signs, but that you would grab the attention of people that need you. And that you would do something in their life. And God, I ask you would show the people in this room how to participate in that.